minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. So, uh, yes, if you wonder what anarchy is all about, anarchos from the Greek, without rulers. It's a society without rulers. How do you create a society without rulers? By breaking down hierarchy and sharing wealth. It's very simple. It's inequalities in wealth and power which create rulers, whether they're elected or self-appointed. So the anarchist struggle in any society, doesn't matter whether it's a dictatorship or a parliamentary democracy, the anarchist struggle is to devolve power and share wealth. Very simple. Devolve power, which is a fancy term for saying, you know, uh, direct democratic ideas. Not having representatives, not having people lorded over us, but devolving power and sharing wealth. That's the anarchist struggle. So it doesn't matter where you are, if you're involved in a struggle to devolve power and share wealth, improve the livelihoods of people, well, you're on that same journey that I undertook almost 50 years ago. Very simple concepts. You don't need a PhD in philosophy to understand what anarchy is all about. It's all around you. It's about inequalities of power and wealth, which give people the capacity to manipulate, exploit other people, use communities for their own advantage. Very simple concept. So in a program like The Anarchist World this week, you'll see me jump from topic to topic. We're not just interested in providing analysis. We're interested in encouraging you to get involved in activities that challenge the status quo. It doesn't matter where you're listening to this program. Whether you're listening to this program via the Community Radio Network, whether you're listening to this program via a podcast from Community Radio Station 3CR in Melbourne, whether you're listening to this program on the World Wide Web, it doesn't matter where you are on the planet, it's a struggle to devolve power and hold wealth in common and use that wealth for the common good. That's what the anarchist struggle is about. Obviously, there are different opinions regarding the best strategies of taking that struggle, as there are in any political, social and cultural movement. But that is the essential element of anarchism. Now, let's move on. Now, I want to talk about hope today. No, 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 I haven't found God yet. I want to talk about hope. Now, hope is the love child of desire 
and expectation. The desire for change and the expectation that change will occur. Every anarchist, every social reformer, every reformer, every revolutionary has hope in their pocket. They hope, they desire that changes will occur and they expect that if they put their shoulders to the wheel of that change to devolve power and share wealth will occur. That's what hope. And the greatest weapon that those who exercise power and acquire wealth at the expense of those around them have, the greatest weapon they have is not the armed forces, it's not the police force, it's not the law. The greatest weapon they have is when the people they exploit, when the people they control lose hope. When you lose that desire for change when you lose that expectation that if you put your shoulder to the wheel, that change will occur. So in the anarchist world this week, we give away. Not sell, we give away hope. And there is nothing more pathetic in this country today than the number of people who've been bludgeoned morally bludgeoned, intellectually bludgeoned, psychologically bludgeoned into submission, who have lost hope that change will ever occur. And that is the greatest, greatest advantage that those who exploit us, those who exercise power have, that capacity to destroy that desire and expectation for change, the capacity to bludgeon people intellectually, morally and psychologically into a situation where they believe anything they attempt to do will result in failure. And that's what we face today, what we face today in Australia we face an era when people honestly believe you cannot change City Hall. You cannot confront capitalism. You cannot change things through struggle. And that is an important issue, the fact that we've lost that hope that desire and expectation for change. Now, public interest before corporate interest was established about 18 months ago for that very reason. For the reason to bring people together with the expectations that we would be able to rekindle hope in the community. Rekindle hope in terms of ensuring that governments 
irrespective of what level, that governments would begin to put the interests of the many before the interests of the few. And it's been a much harder task than we expected because a lot of people say, what's the point? Nothing's going to change. That's the way it was since the year dot. And it is discouraging to see so many people have, in this country, have lost hope that change is desirable and possible. So if you're one of that brigade that belongs to the hopeless brigade who thinks that nothing will ever change, who believes the effort needed to extract change from those who make exercise power, those who exercise power, well, now is the time to think about joining public interest before corporate interest. It is not just a political party that uses the ballot box. It will be a political party that will use direct action, community boycotts, as well as parliamentary politics. It will use both extra-parliamentary and parliamentary tactics to create that society where power is devolved and wealth is held in common. So if you've lost hope, this is your opportunity to rekindle those flames. If you don't want to join public interest before corporate interest, that's fine. But what you need to do is you need to start becoming active. And the best way to start is to open your eyes and see what's happening around you. Because every day we are drowned, drowned in a tsunami of information and news and views which destroy hope. So now is the time to pick up that cudgel and move forwards. So if you want to join public interests before corporate interests, you can either get an application form at one of the rallies or events that uh, we help organise during the year, or you can write to Post Office Box 20, Parkville, 3052, or you can leave a message on 0439 395489 or you can go to the website and download an application form www.pibci.net have a look have a look at the uh, webpage you can email us at info@pibci.net we are well on the way of registering pipsi as a federal political party but in order for that to become a reality we need more members who are on the electoral roll because if you're not on the electoral roll in this country, you don't exist. So hope, desire and expectation, the desire for change and the expectation for change is something that we must never lose. You lose hope, you become totally manipulated you are the type of person who can be manipulated and used for other people's at other for other people's advantage. Let's move on. Now, I remember last week uh, we had our first uh, evening 
with Joe Toscano. That's me. No, I haven't become a megalomaniac, but I've been sick and tired of the lack of real interaction that occurs on a social and cultural basis in Australia today. Most people think it's just good enough just to sit at home and get click activism RSI. Well, if you're around Melbourne town, Wednesday night, every Wednesday night, 20 Smith Street, Collingwood, which is just across the road from studios of 3CR at uh, 21 Smith Street in Fitzroy, because one side of the street is Collingwood and the other side is Fitzroy. So every Wednesday at the Kunjo Ethiopian Restaurant, that's 20 Smith Street, Collingwood, starting at 6pm, finishing around 10pm, Wednesday evening with Joseph Toscano, an evening of satire, irony and humour that examines the news of the week among friends and supporters in a convivial environment. It's a great way to spend a Wednesday evening, which is usually the uh, the midweek wasteland. Now, you don't have to book. You just turn up, buy your own food and drinks, good selection of food. It's, uh, you know, buy your own food and drinks, have a good time, meet up. And the thing, it's about meeting like-minded people and making contacts. And that's what we saw last week was... A really interesting group of people turned up that night. Some I didn't know, some I knew. An interesting group, fascinating group, who made contacts, had a good night, sp- you know, spoke with people of similar ideas. So just turn up every Wednesday, 6pm to 10pm, and uh, there's only one problem. If you got any spare cash, a donation will be extracted from you as the hat goes round the table. But if you haven't, come along. doesn't matter. All right? Let's move on. That's the Wednesday night dinner. Now, while we're uh, waxing lyrical about events, maybe we will talk about the Victorian Land Convention, Direct Democracy in Action. Now, on Friday, the... Uh, What's that? What's Friday? The 15th. Sorry, on Saturday. Saturday the 15th of July is the 160th anniversary of the Victorian Land Convention, which nobody else in the world will be celebrating, but a small group of us, and you can be part of that group, uh, will be celebrating the Victorian Land Convention. And why? The Victorian Land Convention was direct democracy in action. It was a byproduct of the Eureka Rebellion on the 3rd of December, 1854. So I'll be doing a lecture and lunch. Well, you buy your own lunch as usual, but a lecture on the Victorian Land Convention plus a small discussion. And again, same place, Conjo Ethiopian Restaurant, midday, Saturday, 15th of July, just turn up. So why was the Victorian Land Convention important? The Victorian Land Convention was important because access to land has been the driving force for most human civilizations. The colonisation process and the genocide of this country's original inhabitants who had lived here for over, over 2,000 generations was about land. And in Victoria especially, it was about land. And by the time of the Eureka Rebellion, when the great significant proportion of the indigenous population had been 
wiped off the face of Victoria, 720 squatters had leasehold title over the whole of Victoria. That's 720 sheep runs. You know, this is apart from, you know, a few little regional centres. They had a stranglehold on land. And in 1856, legislation was introduced in the Legislative Assembly and the Legislative Council in Victoria, which was designed to turn that leasehold land into into freehold titles, which meant that those 720 squatters who were responsible for the destruction of people who had lived on this land for over 2,000 generations would be rewarded by having access to that land. At the end of 1856, two years after the Eureka Rebellion, and let's not forget, it took three years before there was universal male suffrage in terms of people being able to elect the Legislative Assembly. The squatters who had power, who uh, control the Legislative Council, believed that this was their opportunity to ensure that every acre of land outside a few regional centres belonged to them and their families. Extraordinary. The murderers, the rapists, the colonisers were going to be rewarded with freehold title. And if it wasn't for a huge popular movement which rebelled against these proposed changes, this is what would have occurred. And the Victorian Land Convention was an alternative parliament which met across the road from the Victorian Parliament House for over a decade to ensure that this never occurred. But the important thing about the Victorian Land Convention is that it was based on direct democratic principles. The same principles which were used to organise the Eureka Rebellion, direct democracy, where delegates with limited mandates were appointed to coordinate activities, were used to call the Victorian Land Convention. Delegates from 89 different areas of Victoria came to Melbourne on the 15th of July and met from the 15th of July to the 6th of August 1857 to organise and plan resistance to what was about to occur. So the interesting thing about the Victorian Land Convention is that it's been written outside the history books. The alternative parliament has been written outside the history books and the alternative parliament put radical pressure on the Victorian parliament to pass some of the most radical legislation that had been seen on planet Earth since time immemorial, including three universal secular education in 1871. And all these radical reforms which have occurred to a large degree occurred because of the pressure the Victorian Alternative Parliament, which was based on direct democratic principles, placed on the House of Representatives 100 metres away. So there is a long, colourful history that needs to be remembered. I remember 10 years ago when I wrote a little pamphlet, the Victorian Land Convention, to mark the 150th anniversary, 
there are only two copies of the proceedings of that convention available in the whole whole of Australia. I had to put on my white gloves and go to the special, you know, uh, rare books room to have a look at the original proceedings. So if you're interested in learning more about the Victorian Land Convention, if you're interested in learning more about direct democracy in action, not a new concept, but a concept that's been used in the past in this country, then I encourage you to come to the lunch lecture, which I'll be holding on Saturday, the 15th of July, at starting at midday, at the Konjo Ethiopian Restaurant at 20 Smith Street, Collingwood which is in Melbourne, opposite the radio station of 3CR. And uh, turn up. You don't have to book. You don't have to ring. Just turn up. You have to buy your own lunch and drinks. I haven't won Tats Lotto this week, so I'm afraid you're going to have to buy your own lunch and drinks. And uh, if you can make a donation uh, towards uh, ongoing activities, that'll be good. So interesting little esoteric discussion but a discussion which has profound implications for a political, social and cultural struggle in this country as we now find ourselves in a situation where, to a large degree, Parliament has been usurped by that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. And that's why we now see legislation which constantly goes through Parliament, legislation which constantly goes through Parliament, which ensures that the interests of the few are always put before the interests of the many. Let's move on. Uh, interesting, isn't it? Well, well, you know, over the last 40 years, we have seen struggle after struggle after struggle regarding the concept of collective bargaining, which means unionism. And we have seen legislation after legislative acts being put through Parliament which now make it illegal, a criminal offence for a trade unionist or anybody to withdraw their labour outside an enterprise bargaining agreement period. And when I hear people talk about how horrible it is in China and Russia where, you know, unionists can't withdraw their labour, We have the same system here. Same system. And the latest struggle which has hit the headlines, which people don't really understand, is the struggle between the Australian Cricket Association and the Australian Cricket Board. This is a struggle about collective bargaining. It's very simple. The Australian Cricket Board which is basically made up of people from the you know, old cricketers and people from the corporate sector, wants to break the ability of the 240 cricketers who are in state Sheffield Shield, the Australian cricket team, both men and women, to collectively bargain. This is a struggle about whether workers have the right to come together. This is a struggle that stretches all the way back to, I think, about 1825 when the Tullpuddle Martyrs, six agricultural workers in England who made a pledge 
to work collectively to improve their lot were tried, jail, and guess what? They were exiled as convicts to Australia. And a number of them, most of them ending up in Tasmania. So this is the same struggle where employers think they have a right which they receive from some entity, you know, in the clouds, to be able to stop people coming together to collectively bargain. And this is what the Australian this is what this cricket dispute is all about. Don't believe the propaganda, it's all about greedy cricketers who are paid billions of dollars or millions of dollars. Obviously money is part of it. But the key to this is the Australian Cricket Board attempting to break the Australian Cricketing Association, which is made up of the 240 cricketers who are either in the Australian cricket team, both men and women, and once the women's uh, one-day series ends in England, they will be joining this strike. And it's about the board breaking the union. And the current head of the Australian Cricket Board, former head of the Rio Tinto, is an expert at union busting. So think of it not as a thing about money, but as about collectively bargaining, a concept which in most areas of, the, of Australia has now been outlawed or made so difficult that it's impossible for people to collectively bargain because obviously every employer would love to bargain on a one-to-one basis with their employees because then you've got an inequality in power, obviously. That inequality in power which would, would allows the employer to do what they like. Now, those people who say to me, well, Joe, well, Joe, it's not like that. Well, you look at what's happened in this country. Currently, we are at an economic juncture and unless real wages increase, nothing is going to happen economically. And what we've seen over the last 20 years is the inability of workers to collectively bargain, the inability of trade unions to look after the interests of their members, the difficulty that so many workers have in joining a trade union or a workplace organisation because of the laws which are in place. Laws which will be re- have been reintroduced in Parliament and will be enacted in the next few months, which treats trade unionists as criminals, especially those who work on building sites. If you are a drug runner caught with 100 kilos of cocaine or 50 kilos of ice or a few tonnes of marijuana, you have more legal rights in this country than a trade unionist who opens his mouth or her mouth on a building site who can be now called in to and be forced to answer questions. No legal protections. So this is the type of industrial scene we have. So no wonder wages don't increase and no wonder economic recovery is now 
at a critical juncture. Ah, well, let's move on. The thing is, don't lose hope. Because all you've got in this country at the minute is hope. That desire for change, the expectation that change will occur. And once you've lost that hope, you've got a problem. Poor Malcolm, the Elizabethan. You like that? Malcolm the Elizabethan, the Elizabethan Republican. Now, poor old Malcolm is such a tough man. I've always called him a little man. That he goes to London to make a statement about the core principles of the Liberal Party. Well, as you know, the Liberal Party is at war. Not at war with the Labor Party, but with itself. And it's it's at war with itself because it has allowed its branches to be taken over and dominated by the so-called Institute of Public Affairs, who now basically, to a large degree, call the shots in the Liberal Party. The Liberal Party is no longer that broad church, that coalition of Liberals and Conservatives which was melded together by Menzies. It is basically the toy boy, the toy boy of that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. It is the toy boy of the Institute of Public Affairs. That's what the Liberal Party has become. Its membership has decreased rapidly as those with liberal ideas have deserted the Liberal Party in droves. And the Institute of Public Affairs types and the religious conservative types have taken over the branches. And that's what's occurred. They now run the Liberal Party. Turnbull and his faction can only rely on the spectre of winning the next election to stay in power because they do not have a majority in the Liberal Party. Those of you who believe the Liberal Party can be resuscitated need to understand the Liberal Party died and was cremated and the ashes scattered to the winds years ago. What we've got isn't the Liberal Party. What we have is an old-fashioned pro-business, neoliberal, organisation which now finds itself beating a different drum to the drumbeat that the electorate, that the people of this country, that the people of Australia want to hear. People of this country don't want to hear anymore about how our this country's movers and shakers don't pay tax. They don't want to hear and how parliamentary legislation is not fashioned by the needs of the people of this country, but is fashioned by the small, that small section of society that owns the means of production, exchange, distribution and communication. They don't want to hear that anymore. They don't want to hear anymore there's not enough money for public education and public health and public infrastructure. There is not enough 
money for Social Security benefits for the 30% of Australians who rely on Social Security benefits to survive. They don't want to hear stories about elderly people being ripped off by private organisations which now have a monopoly on providing aged care services. They no longer want to hear about the fact that, you know, you can't buy a home and have difficulty paying rent and that the public housing sector no longer exists as far as various state governments around this country is concerned. They don't want to hear about stories about the fact that things, that they've got to tighten their belt when they see around them multinational corporations and CEOs of these corporations and government bureaucrats tucking in hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars in their pockets. They don't want to hear about all the corporate welfare that's around. They want some real policies which stop them stop them on that treadmill, that constant treadmill of bills, paying bills, extra bills, extra charges, you know, having to deal with banks and financial institutions which really have no interest in them as individuals. They're sick and tired of this. People are becoming sick and tired of this. But they're not only losing hope, they're becoming angry. And that's why we see these wild fluctuations as far as political progress is concerned. The dilemma is that a lot of people think that the way forward is for a strong leader to take over. Well, it doesn't work that way. Whenever a strong leader takes over, what we see is the institutional structures which are there to protect the individual are swept aside. A lot of people think that if only we get rid of those refugees, you know, it'd all be hunky-dory. If only if we could expel all those Muslims, it'd be a wonderful, wonderful country. Well, it ain't that way. That's what they want us to do. They want us to be. They want us to divide and rule us, because we need to understand, irrespective of our religious beliefs or no religious beliefs, irrespective of our sexual orientation, irrespective of our gender, irrespective of a culture, our racial origins, where we come from, ultimately. The only enemy that's important, that means anything, that has power, is that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication, which dictate parliamentary policy. And that's the problem, which we need to address. You know the problem. You can sit at home and wait for the next big thing to arrive and then click your little button on the net and say hallelujah or you can become part of that movement for real change out in the community it's up to you it's your your story let's move on now a few other things as far as defend and extend public housing there will be a public meeting organize or initiative of public interest or corporate interest at the seaford community center on Sunday, the 23rd. That's right, Sunday the 23rd. Put that down your calendar. Sunday afternoon the 23rd. Put that down in your calendar. 
as I said before, there's lots of things. And if you listen to this program interstate and you you want some assistance in organising your own activities, well, we're quite happy to assist because this needs to be a national movement. You know, this this struggle for change needs to be a national movement. Now, I usually don't say much about overseas stuff. You know, I leave it to the overseas people, but. I'm beginning to feel sorry for President Donald Groper. What a man. What a man. Obviously out of his depth. It's like going, you know, the school camp at the G20, you know. He was the kid with the uh, with the body odour that everybody didn't want to speak to. Quite interesting, wasn't it? But the dilemma is that uh, this man is obviously... Obviously, not up to the task of governing the United States of America. Not up to the task. Not up to the task. As people said, snake oil salesmen. Well, I'm afraid I must disagree. I think snake oil salesmen have a little bit of ethical backbone compared to the President Donald Groper. And why would people expect any different? Why would you expect any different? This is a man who rode into power on the on a campaign trail that he was different. He was for the people. He was going to change things. He was going to put them back to work. Well, poor old Donald, like all those oligarchs, whether in Russia or the USA or China or England, All those oligarchs, well, they have one thing in common. They attempt to gain political power for one reason only, and that is to increase their wealth and their power and the wealth and power of their families and friends. It's called crony capitalism. Whether it's state capitalism or private capitalism, same thing, crony capitalism. And Donald Groper is the pin-up boy for crony capitalism. And all those Americans who thought this man was different, just look at his legislative, legislative, uh, well, who knows what they are, initiatives. Things like removing deaf duties in America for the super-rich. Obviously, the Groper wants to remove deaf duties for the super-rich to enrich himself and his family. Simple. Overturning Obamacare. Obviously, they have no interest in ordinary Americans and the health needs that they have. The list goes on and on. I mean, talk about a con job. Wonderful con job, but again, not my problem. It's the problem of the United States of America. It's their problem. They have allowed such a system to be created which allows people like Donald Groper, the president of the US of A, to become president. Now, the only problem is it does become your problem and my problem because of the potential for destruction which which such a person in the White House has, irrespective of the checks and balances which are in place in the United States to ensure a president doesn't become a dictator. So keep your eye on the Groper. 
see what happens. And if you think if the groper goes, things will get better, no, they won't get better. The Vice President, Mr Pence, makes the groper look like a raging left-wing radical. And that's the dilemma. Once again, what we've seen happen to the Liberal Party in Australia happened to the Republican Party in America. It has been taken over by people who will use the state apparatus to crush any opposition, by people who believe in the capitalist dream, by people who will do everything possible in their powers to destroy the ability of the state to protect its citizens and provide for its citizens. And that is the dilemma you and I and everybody else on the planet faces. All right, let's move on. As I said before, I don't do much overseas analysis because it really doesn't matter what I say. But sometimes it helps because it helps people get their ideas clear. Now, those of you who think the Islamic State group came out of nowhere, think again. In 2003, President Bush Jr. and John Howard and Mr Blair the coalition of the willing, all right, not the unwilling, the coalition of willing, invader Iraq, toppled Saddam Hussein, okay? A new era of freedom and democracy was supposed to, uh, you know, reign in the land of Iraq. And what we've seen since then is something which has a profound effect on the whole Middle East. We have seen in the chaos which ensued, we have seen religious based divisions once again come to the fore in this part of the world. Because in the past, it was all about nationalism, all about nationalism. Those of you who are old enough to remember the Suez Canal crisis, all about nationalism. Now, it seems to be about religious belief, although a lot of that is based on the idea that that invasion in 2003 was really an invasion about turning a secular nationalist, socialist economy in Iraq into a capitalist economy where resources which were being used for the people in Iraq now become the private property mainly of overseas corporations. So what we've seen in Mosul and what we've seen in the Iraq in the last three to four years, and what we've seen in Syria, to a large degree, is a direct consequence of the invasion of Iraq in 2003. A direct consequence of that naked grab for resources. And all that death and destruction which we are now witnessing, whether it's in Yemen, 
whether it's a dispute between Qatar and Saudi Arabia, whether it's the atrocities which are occurring in Syria, whether it's the rise of the Islamic State and other religious fundamentalist groups, to can be slated back to that invasion in 2003. And that's something we need to remember because ultimately we were involved in that invasion as a country. Although there are hundreds of thousands of people on the streets around this country opposing the invasion in 2003, I'm talking about hundreds of thousands, the biggest demonstration ever seen in Melbourne, bigger than the Vietnam moratoriums in the 19. 19, early 1970s, John Howard and his ilk decided to go ahead with that invasion. And 15 years later, we are seeing the consequences of policies which were basically designed to steal natural resources. End of, end of story. This is the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. If you uh, want to join Pipsy, go to the website, www.pipsy.net, download the application form, join tomorrow. You want to go, want to learn more about anarchism, go to the website, anarchismedia.org, or you can go to my personal Facebook page. When I say it's personal, you're not going to land what type of underpants I wear, but it does look at a lot of the activities that I personally am involved in. Obviously, I encourage you to join many of that, those activities. You can go to Toscano, T-O-S-C-A-N-O, the number four, Dunkley, D-U-N-K-L-E-Y. You can go to the, uh, uh, you know, there's tons. You can go to Defend and Extend Public Housing Facebook page. Don't forget, if you live in Victoria, last Wednesday of the month, midday, Sorry, first Wednesday of the month, midday, Parliament House, Spring Street, Melbourne. Interested in public interest before corporate interests, last Wednesday of this month, Parliament House, and the list goes on and on. So there's a lot of things we're involved in, but you can do the same things. There's nothing special about us. There's nothing special about the anarchist world this week. There's nothing special. It's about taking initiatives. You know, initiatives like the Wednesday Action Group, which is a small group which reclaims public space once a week in the city of Melbourne. I mean, there's been this big struggle to reclaim public space as private enterprise, public-private partnerships usurp public space and use that public space for their personal interests. Think about it. Happens constantly. I'd also just like to remind you about the West Papuan Rent Collective. We are having a bit of trouble, as usual, at this time of year. Mid-year, everybody forgets about the West Papuan Independence Struggle. If you want to join the Rent Collective, give me a call, leave a message, 0439 395 489. SMS me, 0439 395 489. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. That's Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Or you can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com. Anarchistage at yahoo.com. All right, getting back to Australian politics. The big con. Superannuation. The big con. Do you know 
that last year, last financial year, the federal government didn't, didn't receive $30 billion in taxation revenue because of all these laws that have been passed regarding superannuation, which have allowed very, 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 very rich people, not ordinary workers, but rich people, to get $30 billion of tax deductions legally for fattening up their superannuation fund so they can live the life of Riley once they're retired. You know, everybody needs a second Learjet, let alone a first. Think about it. $30 billion lost taxation revenue. 80% of that $30 billion went towards welfare payments for the super rich who are able to invest in inverted commas, in their superannuation funds. Isn't that extraordinary? $30 billion. I'm not making this up. This is real. These are real facts and figures. I mean, we don't do fake news on the anarchist world this week. We don't need to do face news. We don't need to do humour. We don't need to do satire. All we have to do is read the numbers, read the facts, and you would fall down laughing your head off. You may even die. You know? You're laughing so loudly. One third of the nation's richest 1,500 corporations paid no tax legally last financial year. Huge transnational corporations pay less taxation legally, legally, than a taxpayer earning $100,000 a year. And then you've got the wonderful cases of people like Mr Murdoch receiving an $886 million tax refund at the end of 2013 and nobody been willing to comment it. Then last week, was it the week before, we saw the privately owned television stations be relieved of the burden of paying $100 million in in uh, licence fees. Bingo. They're gone. Extraordinary. It just goes on and on and on. People can't get a deposit for one house, but if you buy some chance, you've got the disposable income, you've got that disposable income to buy a second house, whippy-doo, tax deduction. And no wonder there's no money for anything else. Oh, we don't have money for the pharmaceutical benefits scheme. Nah, haven't got any money for Medicare. Ah, oh, no, no money for the public health. No, no, no. You've got to squeeze your belt. Extra money for the unemployed? You've got to be kidding. Why would you give those bludgers anything extra? Bludgers? You know where the bloody bludgers are. The bludgers are those people who used all the resources provided by the state, the armed forces, the police, the laws, the courts, to maximise their profits at the expense of everybody else and then put their hands out 
for taxpayer-funded, taxpayer-funded rewards, as we see with the $30 billion lost in superannuation tax, just extraordinary. Extraordinary when you think about it. Just extraordinary. We live in the land of the, you know, the idiot, I think. All right, you've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. That's right, 3cr.org.au. It's up to you. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can email us at com. You can actually download the application form to join Pipsy from pipsy.net. Don't forget the lecture lunch at the Conjo Ethiopian Restaurant in Melbourne at 20 Smith Street, midday on Saturday, the 15th of July, regarding the 160th anniversary of the Victorian Land Convention. Don't forget tonight, the or Wednesday night, the uh, 12th of July, 6pm, same restaurant, uh, evening of a little bit of singing, no dancing, just singing, <laughs> not a big enough to dance, I don't think. Food, good conversation, meet interesting people, form new contacts. Join us tonight. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast via the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Visit my uh, political Facebook page, Toscano, T-O-S-C-A-N-A, for the public. Toscano, the number for the public. As I said before, we do answer correspondence. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville, 3052. We do need $1 stamps to get the uh, big Pipsy mail out, out. So if you can spare a $1 stamp or 10 or 100 or 5,000, post them to Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com. You can download that Pipsy application form from pipsy.net. Don't forget the Defend and Extend Public Housing Public Meeting, which has been organised by... Uh, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest at the Seaford Community Centre on Sunday, the 23rd of July. I'll give you more information about that. Put it in your uh, in your uh, diary. That's Station Street, Seaford. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Listen in to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station next week. Minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds Oh, Lord, yeah.